Good morning. Let's, let's uh, pray. Pray once again. Father, we agree together that you are great. You're good. You're so faithful, reliable. Lord, those words spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, that song we just sang, based from Lamentations chapter 3, Lord, that, that this is the truth, Lord. There is, even the prophet who wrote those words, that, that your mercies are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. Lord, the surroundings of his life and the country, what was going on with your people, it was not good. There was a lot going wrong. And yet he was able to just declare and, and, and really focus his mind, that he would put his mind and fix his thoughts on this perspective here, that the greatest are faithfulness, your mercies are new every morning. And Lord, we have so many reasons to give thanks for, from things you've done in the past, Lord. And, and we can stand facing the future, trusting you, God, knowing you are faithful, you will remain faithful through all eternity. Lord, for those that are here that know you personally or in Christ, Lord, that we can sing of your mercy for all eternity, Lord. That, that blows my mind away. And so, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you that we're able to even sing and rejoice right now. Lord, speak to us, God, through your word and just through this time as we share together and kind of uh, begin a new series together. We ask for your help and guidance and protection in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's good to see all of you here. It's good to wife and I and the kids are traveling and it's good to be back with all of you. I hope your new year is off to a great start. Today we're, we're beginning this new message series called What's Best Today? And this is a series on how, how we use our time. What the Bible has to say about how we use our time. And so we'll, we're only going to be able to cover aspects uh, a little bit each week. And so, But as you all know, life goes streaming by. It just flies by, doesn't it? I mean, how many thought at the end of 2015, like in December? I can't believe it's December. I can't believe 2015 is over. Where did the time go? Others of you are here and you're thinking, man, where did the last 15 years go? Like, you can remember Y2K as if it was yesterday. Everyone thought the world was going to fall apart and 15 years just flies by, you know? Some of you are here and you're thinking, man, where did the last 50 years go? You know, life just speeds by at a rapid pace. And, you know, we choose, all of us, from a limited menu of options of how we're going to use our time. What are we going to do with each day and the time that we're given each day? And so we find out, you know, knowing and doing what's best in life is of utmost importance. So if you see this guy here on the, the series kind of graphic, he's got his phone out and he's looking at the options. What's he going to do? What's the best choice? How is he going to use his time? You know, and when it comes to the beginning of the year, we, we often try to improve ourselves. We try to improve from year to year. Um, often we, we try to make course corrections. And sometimes we set out to change, and that's triggered by meltdowns. Maybe that's what's going on in your life. Maybe you've had a rough year, and maybe you would even say, yeah, I've had somewhat of a meltdown on my own. And so maybe what's triggering the change in your life is, is things aren't going well, and, and you just recognize things can't continue to go in this way, so I've got to make some changes. So you're trying to force correct. Sometimes change is forced upon us by someone else. Sometimes it's the boss. The boss says, hey, you can't continue to do what you're doing. I won't allow it. Sometimes it's a spouse. Someone else is saying, hey, you can't continue to go on doing these things, and so that causes or requires a forced correction. Sometimes we just realize that the way we're spending our time could be far more strategic and so we start making changes. 
However, sometimes the hope for change is just, it's not there. And we, we, we feel like, we look at our lives and we say, man, I, I, I'm never going to be able to change. Life is just not going well, and I, I can't really improve. I've tried that. Um, and we take a real cynical position. In fact, I have a, a humorous clip here from an old movie called City Slickers. And the father in this movie, he's sharing about his plan, or his, his job, basically, on career day. And it looks like the classroom is a bunch of kindergartners, and he's sharing about his job on career day, and, and he's making some comments. And make sure the volume's up nice and loud so you can hear the very beginning, because he makes a statement in the very beginning I want you to catch. But he's commenting on the pace of life, but then he, he has a very cynical way of looking at things. And so let's, let's roll this. Value this time in your life, kids. Because this is the time in your life when you still have your choices. And it goes by so fast. When you're a teenager, you think you can do anything, and you do. Your 20s are a blur. Your 30s, you raise your family, you make a little money, and you think to yourself, what happened in my 20s? 40s, you grow a little pot belly, you grow another chin. The music starts to get too loud. One of your old girlfriends from high school becomes a grandmother. 50s, you have a minor surgery. You'll call it a procedure, but it's a surgery. 60s, you'll have a major surgery. The music is still loud, but it doesn't matter because you can't hear it anyway. 70s, you and the wife retired to Fort Lauderdale. Studying dinner at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Lunch around 10, breakfast the night before. Spend most of your time wandering around malls looking for the ultimate soft yogurt and muttering, how come the kids don't fall? How come the kids don't fall? The 80s will have a major stroke. You end up battling with some Jamaican nurse and your wife can't stand, but you call mama. Any questions? Uh, it's not a great... <laughs> but he, he's cynical. He's a cynical guy. Life feels bland, you can tell from him. It's boring, it's empty to him. And you can just hear this in his voice. He's lost, and he wants to know how to find the best life, but he's not experiencing this. That. In this series, what we're going to do is we're going to take the time to really think about our lives before we just spend them away on what leaves us empty. God provides so much help to us about our time use in his word. We're going to listen, we're going to, listen to the words of, of two leaders. One is David, the other is Paul. We're going to start with David, and then we'll eventually get to Paul. First place we're going to look is Psalm chapter 34. You're welcome to flip there. Uh, you can. This is a psalm of David. And I want to set up the psalm a little bit so you have a little clear picture of the context of what's going on. Just a broad summary of the circumstances that David was in when he wrote um, this, this song of praise. Okay? Uh, he, he had just, well, earlier he defeated Goliath. Goliath is this nine foot tall warrior. He's huge. One of the Philistines that nobody wanted to, to battle against. And David, this little man, young king, steps up and said, I'll fight this guy. And my dad, actually, he's a pastor. He's preaching on David and Goliath today. He's focusing really on that battle story. My dad's using, he said, I'm using this, this uh, projected image, and I'm going to stand right next to it. Because my dad, he's even smaller than I am. He's like 5'4", five, 5'5". Five, five. So he's going to stand up against Goliath to show the perspective of, of what this would have looked like. And so Goliath is massive man. When David defeats Goliath, this is unbelievable. It required of David unbelievable trust and confidence in God. And why else would anybody stand up to fight a guy that huge? Everybody else was shaking in fear. And David, who defeats him, he wins this great victory for God's people, for his country, Israel. And, and this was an amazing triumph for the country, but it spelled trouble for David. Why? Well, because the king felt threatened. 
the king wasn't even willing to go fight Goliath. And so, you know, David here now is a threat. He starts getting attention. And so the king, King Saul, he is jealous of the ensuing popularity and he chases after David, really until the end of his life. Because he, he feels threatened by this rising leader who, who was a threat to his, to his own role. And so for a time, David was really completely trusting in God because he was on the run. He had to hide out. And he played a game of hide and seek. Here's a, here's a, a picture from the, the Bible miniseries, the TV version of the Bible. And this is their, their actor for David. He's a young, kind of ruddy man. He was a shepherd, and, and he, he'd gotten some training in self-defense while he was trying to defend against predators that would threaten to take out his father's flock. And so, anyway, when he steps up to battle against Goliath, he'd, he'd seen some battling before, and so he was ready for it. He trusted in God. and But he finds himself having to be on the run because of this king. And at a certain point, I mean, he had already gained, after right after David Goliath's, Story, he gains some popularity. He becomes one of the king's men, a soldier. Begins to gain leadership among the king's forces and becomes like a high-ranking leader. And so gains a following, which is why King Saul really was so threatened. Stories are being told about David. Not so many stories were told about Saul in such a positive way. But he was trusting God all these years. There were several years where he was really worried about King Saul taking his life. And he would go and he'd hide himself out in the Judean wilderness. Here's a picture of the Judean kind of wilderness area. He, he would, while he was on the run, he'd just have to escape, seek refuge in a place where he wouldn't be, wouldn't be found. And he would hide out with his men. Sometimes he would be in small groups, sometimes larger. And, but a shift began to happen. When David fought Goliath, he really trusted God. When he was on the run in the hill country, he really trusted God. But a shift began to happen where he began to think about other ways to kind of rely on himself and on his own cunning. And it begins in 1 Samuel 21. You can jot that down if you want to read about it later. 1 Samuel 21 is where you start seeing David give in to some deception and lying. He begins this pattern of lying. So again, after years of trusting God, now he's on the run, he begins to use deception because the thought behind deception oftentimes is maybe this will help or maybe I'll get away with it. And if you, you know, I'm not going to say if you've ever told a lie, but everybody here has told a lie. In fact, you've probably told many. And, you know, I don't think, ah, oh, he's wrong. You know, honestly, it's part of the human condition. Think about Adam and Eve, the deception. She's deceived by the serpent. Adam, he, he says to God, who comes looking for him in the garden, what did he say? Oh, I was hiding from you, God. Well, he's, he's not really telling the truth of why he's hiding. He's deceiving and so deception is really a, a default for humans. Have you ever lied, and then you told a lie to cover up your lie? It goes from bad to worse, and you're like, oh, this is getting worse and worse, and you've got to bring it out. David, he, he did that. He starts lying. He tells these lies to a priest in First Samuel chapter 21. He starts lying, telling lies to provide for his band of outlaws who are fighting with him. And we can choose the same kind of thinking, like, Maybe this little lie will really help me. And so, well, what happens? We, we have to cover our tracks with other lies, and eventually it all begins to unravel. If you walk with the Lord and the Spirit lives inside of you, He convicts you of it. You've got to straighten it out, and you've got to start fresh. It's David who does this. Rather than trusting God, 
for his safety, he starts using his own wisdom, and it, he, he defaults to lying. Then, in the same chapter, he, he decides to go to Gath. Gath is the capital city of the Philistines. And I told you David fought Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine. And David decides to go to Gath, the capital city of you know, the champion, where this champion was from. Goliath was from you know, the Philistine area. And so David was like the number one enemy of that country. And David decides to go there. And he's the one that embarrassed them by defeating their, their, their champion. When he gets to Gath, he's immediately spotted. And he's reported to the king. And this was a bad idea. He decides to go there. This is a bad idea. And if you've read the story before, uh, it, it, doesn't, it kind of implies he may have been taken, and cap, you know, captured immediately. They certainly spot him and they report it to the king. And David, to get himself out of the situation, he pretends to be crazy. And he did it so well that you know, the king released him out of disgust. David's like scratching the gates and he's like saliva's dripping from him. He's acting like a madman. And, and the king says, look, i got enough crazy people in my country. We don't need another guy. Why would you guys let him in? And so they, they send him away. Basically, what David's doing is things are just going from bad to worse in his thinking. He just keeps kind of trying to use deceit to protect himself rather than turning to God and trusting God like he did in the beginning. And so what he does after this is he heads to these caves. Here's a picture of the caves. These are the Adullam, okay? And basically, these were these famous caves, these deep underground caverns. They would be sometimes 15 to 20 feet deep. And it would. this was a place right on the border of the Philistine Plains, right at the edge of the, the Judean mountains. And this was a well-adapted place to conceal refugees. So people would escape and hide out. You can see you can fit lots of people in there. So it's in this cave, while he's on the run, that he begins to, to sing and write out these, you know, these words from Psalm 34. This is a psalm of praise and gratitude for the narrow escape. Now if you look at Psalm 34 in the beginning, we're going to look specifically at verse 11 through 14. But in the beginning it says that this is a psalm of David when he changed his behavior. You can see this. If you have your Bible, you can see this in the beginning. It has a little description of the psalm. It says, A psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech. So he drove him out and he went away. In 1 Samuel 21, it talks about a different king. It says uh, the king's name was Achish, the one that he, David acted like a madman in front of. And here it says that he changed his behavior before Abimelech. The word Abimelech, it seems like it's conflicting stories here, but the word Abimelech just means father of the king. And so it's like a royal title. In Hebrew, it just means Ab is father, Melech is king. And so it's more of a reference to the, the title of who that king was. Don't get thrown off and think that I'm lying you up here. So in case you're wondering about the conflicting names. So verse 11, okay. Basically, he, he follows this song of praise. Because David, at this point in Psalm 34, he's just grateful to be alive. He has escaped, captured from Saul. And, and he's grateful to be alive. He starts praising God, and he starts moving back towards the truth. Starts letting go of the lying, and he makes some statements here about lying. In fact, follows the song of praise up by showing us this. This is the top of your listening guide. Cho- choosing what's best each day. This is on your listening guide. Choosing what's best each day is the key to having the best life. If you want to have a good life, David would say, choose the best thing day by day. 
that stacks up to a good life. As opposed to choosing deception or lying or as opposed to coming up with your own efforts to put together a good life, you might think, oh, I'm just going to course correct or have new resolutions and come up with a good life. David would say, trust the Lord and, and stack up good days by choosing every day to please God, do his will. Look at, look at what he says. He's saying this to a group of about 300 men okay, who were traveling with him and helping him evade being captured. Verse 11 says this, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Fearing God means to respect God, to, to take him seriously and obey his commands, to stay in bounds with God. He's saying that, that's the foundation for the best life. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man, and here's the question, what man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Now imagine this question he's saying to all these people. Who, who wants a good life? Who wants to see many good days? You know, whether they shot their hands up or not, everybody's like, yeah, that's, I do want that. I don't want to be on the run anymore. I want to know how to put, you know, put a future together. That's a question that we often ask. How do I put together a good day? Verse, verse 13 begins to answer. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Now, he's reflecting here, obviously, on the fact that he was trying to use lying and deception to get his way out of some very bad circumstances. He's saying, look, don't, don't do that. That didn't work. That doesn't work. That's not how you put a life together. He's saying something about our words and something about the way we do our life. He's rehearsing what he is what he knows is right on the heels of doing a lot of things pretty wrong at this point. You want a good life? You need to stack up good day after good day after good day, doing life God's way. Two things David says here. Number one, watch your words. Watch your words. And he uses this phrase, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Evil words, literally words that harm, words that pollute the atmosphere. Just David saying, look, let's just let's not let's take those things out of our vocabulary. Let's, let's get rid of those harmful words, har words that wreck relationships, words that tear others down, words that are deceiving. The white lies, the half truths, you know, deceitful words. What what does that do? Well, it erodes trust. Anytime we use deceptive words, it erodes trust, and that often takes a while to rebuild. Sometimes many many years. So David's saying, look, watch, watch your words, watch the, the things that you, you let come out of your mouth. And then secondly, he says, watch your walk. Watch your walk. Turn away from evil. Do good. You realize, man, I've got a pattern of just kind of doing life my own way, whether it's deception or lying or just sin in any other area that's outside of God's bounds. David would say, watch your walk. When you realize that your way is not pleasing to the Lord, turn away from that. Turn towards God. Turn away from evil. Pursue God and His ways. Now, choosing to do the good that God wills in every part of our of our life is really key to living life in the very best way. God's will and God's guidance that encompasses all the areas of our life. It encompasses friendships and family and work and school and recreation and dating and finances and the use of our time. Certainly, like we're looking at. So, what we're going to do in this message series is. We're really looking at how do we choose what's best today? What is, how do we choose that? How do we sort through it? There is so much that appeals to us in this passage and in these, in these verses here even. However, standing in our way, blocking our progress, 
is a list of villains. There, in fact, four villains can derail us from doing good and really stacking up many good days. There's some things that will block your progress. And I want to identify those right now. And we're going to kind of be looking at these over the next um, several weeks in this series. I want to describe kind of the villain, basically, uh, that, that threatens us. Now, the villain in, in the plot of the story, we're familiar with the villain is, but that's the character who has these evil actions, evil motives and intentions, and they're the one that is opposing the progress of the hero. So we, we know these famous villains and heroes. So here's one. This was my favorite superhero growing up with Superman, and even when Smallville came out, I watched a lot of Smallville, and, and I liked that. But who was, who was Superman's villain? Lex Luthor. What about this guy? Who, who is Spider-Man's villain? Yeah, it's a little, you know. Who is the main villain? Someone say the Terminator? <laughs> who is Spider-Man's main villain? The Green Goblin. We're going to go with that. This looks like a, he's a thickly green goblin. He's green. He's Green Goblin. What about this guy? What is Thor's, who is Thor's villain? Loki, who happens to be his brother. I hate to be spoiled for you, okay? But, and then Iron Man. Iron Man's, you know, there's probably several. Who is his most recent villain? Okay, you know what, you're right. I'm not up to speed on this stuff. Let's just show you who this is. That, that's the Mandarin. So that's, that's, in fact, probably not his most recent villain. <laughs> but, but that's one of his villains. You get the point. Now, now, the villain in the story is a major part of the plot line. And the villain is often what makes movies so entertaining. If it weren't for the villain, you'd be like, eh. Who wants to see just the, the hero, you know, without any opposite? That's what makes the, the, the story so exciting. It's the villain and the interaction. But in our real lives... These villains that I want to mention, these bring tremendous frustration as we find ourselves unable to move forward in life. These villains can derail our progress. They can eat up hours, days, even years of our life if we fail to confront them. So here's the first one. The first one is ambiguity. Ambiguity is this. It's not dealing or not deciding what's most important. You know, not We don't really decide what's important to do right it's a little fuzzy, it's a little ambiguous, you might say. It's, it's difficult to know how I should spend my time. It's tough to identify the most important areas requiring our attention and our focus. There's so many ways to fill up the hours in any given day, and we can wear ourselves out working really hard stuff. We might find out, man, that wasn't very smart for me to have spent so much time on the wrong things. And so there's, there's just ways to do that. This, this applies to us on the job. Sometimes we can get so bogged down in the details of our work that we never like stick our head up and really look at what needs to be done and really ask the question, are we doing the right work? I've had boy, I've had bosses point out to me that you know that I was working on the wrong stuff. I had the wrong priorities. I was making time for the wrong things. And I would walk away from those conversations discouraged and frustrated, not at them, but at myself and the fact that I've wasted away some time. Or at home, you know, you might have a clear weekend and you decide to focus on some strange project that, that fascinates you. <laughs> I've had it to where I'll notice something out of place and then I just kind of like, man, it's time to sort my nuts and bolts right now in my garage. And I'm like, 
you know, I could spend hours just doing these things. At one time, I, I scraped all the surfboard wax off my surfboard, off one of my longboards, and it took me like all afternoon. And, and it was like one of those free days where I didn't see anything on the calendar, so it just seemed like it made sense. Well, afterwards, you later find out there were more important issues that needed to be, you know, that needed my attention, and I was really being nitpicky on getting getting all nice and pretty. And I've done that with other things, whether it's detailing something or where is the ambiguity impacting you? This is, a, this is a very important question to ask. Where is ambiguity impacting you? Is it in, in your school responsibilities? Welcome back students. I mean, is it, is it if you reflect back on last semester, what, what was impacting you in, in, in really grabbing hold of your focus and your attention? And was, the, was that the right thing? Were those the right things? Is it something at work? Is it something at home? All of us need to ask this question. And if we're not clear on the priorities or, or even clear on the overall direction that we need to be moving in, then this villain is happy to just keep us defeated. Next, beware the villain of overload. Overload is feeling overwhelmed so we can't see what's most important. Challenging when it feels like all of my responsibilities are piling up and it just seems like you're operating at full capacity and then we remember something else that we need to give attention to and then another thing and we just get overloaded with all of this information. Add the information overload of Facebook, Twitter, all the social media, Instagram, trying to keep up with everything. It feels impossible to keep up. And so how do you make good decisions in the midst of all the overload? How do you do it? How do you keep from sinking? Some people, oh, they just quit. So they, they try to get off the grid. But social media, that's just one area where overload can creep in. So we need a plan to navigate the overload. That's Another villain we're going to be looking at in this series. Then third, the lack of fulfillment. Living a faithful life can seem boring. It just seems boring to just... And this is a villain. I want to describe this a little bit. As I was driving up the state of California to go visit family for Christmas, I go up the highway and in the middle of California, Central Valley, you see these giant fields where so much of our produce is grown in the state. You see these fields, and now this looks a little too lush. So this is definitely not our state. Okay. <laughs> but, but you see these lush fields around you in a nice green season. But, and, you know, so much produce is grown in the central uh, valley of California for the, I think, they, I think I read somewhere that half of the produce for the country is grown in California. And so there's a lot grown here. And you look at these fields and you think, or I, I think to myself about the steady and the faithful habits of those farmers who are working in those fields and who own those fields and who are, who are running you know, the routines of all that needs to happen. Let's just say a lettuce farmer. Think about a lettuce farmer for a moment. Their routine probably changes very little. Now, there may be advancements that, that come and make things uh, you know, improve for them, but, they're, but they're, the cycles and routines of their life, it changes. There's prep time. You're, you're prepping the field. You're prepping you're fixing irrigation, you're digging trenches, you're, you're prepping the soil, you're getting things ready to plant. Then there's the planting time where you're planting the seeds and you're, you're planting in the right places so that your plants are able to grow the right distance from each other and that you know, there's, there's basically that season of, of, of seeding. And then there's the time before the harvest. The seeds are in the ground, your water's getting to them, you've got good sun. Now in that, in that time before the harvest, you're inspecting for problems. You're looking for leaks still. There's, there's a lot of waiting. If you're a farmer, you believe in God, you have a relationship with him, you're probably praying, God, please bring 
just a, a bountiful harvest that, that would bless, you know, the people that, that work for us and bless our family and, and our state. And all, you know, you're praying and you're, you're, you're excited for the harvest. Then there's harvest time. And when it's harvest time, man, it's all hands on deck. Because everybody is required to bring in the harvest. And you work long hours, even into the night, because you don't want to you don't want to waste anything. Anything that's left there can spoil, and so you want to bring in the, the largest harvest you could. Well then what do you do? After harvest is over, what do you do? You start over. You move to the next field or you or you begin prepping that same field for the next harvest. And so this routine, this faithful, steady routine of prepping and seeding and waiting and harvesting and prepping and seeding, waiting and harvesting. It's just a routine. And so much of our lives look just like that. Parenting. You, you can put parenting just like the, the routines of, of harvesting. There's just all this prep and seeding and praying and waiting and fixing and correcting some things. And then, you know, there, it, there's these routines. Or in your work, there's all these mundane routines that you do, and you're like, man, it's the same routines, and or at school, it's the same routines, and on and on, and and so, and then with all of these areas, there's these laws that, that are that God has set up to govern these different areas of our lives, even our spiritual life and discipline. They require faithful routines of, of walking with Him, and, and we constantly have to wrestle with this villain, and the villain whispers to us, boldly. Your life is boring, predictable, you need some excitement, break out of your routine. And so beware of this villain because he will derail your life, will derail your progress. In reality, you, you will never be completely fulfilled in this world because of the curse of sin, which makes work really hard and toilsome. And that's just... That's just a part of life that's inescapable. But, but we, we long to be free, and so this villain comes in and it threatens us. One final villain is this. It's the fear of missing out. We have this fear that we're going to waste our life and be ripped off from enjoyment, very closely connected to that lack of fulfillment. We don't want to miss out. Whether it comes from comparing our lives to those on TV or in this culture, or even, you know, just looking at our own lives, it, just, it can appear that committing to everything or saying yes to everyone can totally run us ragged. And so we've got to battle this fear. Otherwise, our overcommitment can just be personally frustrating and really disheartening to, to people in our lives. And so the good news for, for these villains, and we'll be looking at these in this series, the good news is God has given us the help to overcome all of these. And as we walk with God, cooperate with Him, God, He's given us the resources to battle against the things which stunt our progress in life. And we want to provide perspective and really to practical tools so, we can, so together we can do this last and we can defeat the villain. By, by what? By orienting our lives around God and His, and His will. It's the final thing up there. The way to, to in, in summary, the way we deal with these villains is we orient, we build our lives around God, make Him in the center, and then we build around His will. We understand, we get to know His will. The theme verse for this entire series is found in the book of Ephesians, which is in the New Testament. Paul, one of the church leaders, in Ephesians chapter 5, he wrote these words. He said this. He said, look carefully then how you walk. Now think about how that ties to what David said about watching your walk. Paul writes, look carefully then how you walk, 
not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, to, de to determine what's best today requires wisdom. An unwise approach just kind of lets life happen to us. It's not intentional. It's definitely not factoring God into the equation of how life ought to be lived. But Paul says, look carefully, then, how you walk. What that phrase means there is the Greek word there, and I've shared this many times, the Greek word is akrobos. It means, it's, it's where we get our word acrobat from. Just like an acrobat, here's a picture of an acrobat in South Korea, holding a fan, opening it, closing it, while still walking and bouncing off this tight rope skillfully. Each step has to be calculated. Just like someone who walks on a high wire has to train themselves and learn the right reflexes and responses, we also need to learn how to do God's will in each area of our life. Go back to the verse. Look carefully then. Just back up one slide. Look carefully then how you walk. It takes an exact walk. You have to understand God's will and then walk very carefully in line with what God says. Why? Because our time on earth is very limited. Otherwise, we, we waste our time. Now, we want to make the most of the time. That's why Paul is saying, look, make the best use of your time. Walk carefully. Walk exactly, he's saying. Now, next week, what we're going to do is we're going to try to expand on this idea of the will of God. What is the will of God? What has God defined as his will? And so I want to invite you to, to join us next week. And we'll answer this question, what does God want? And we're going to be looking at the will of God as it applies to the arenas of our life, our relationships, our responsibilities. Because to have a fruitful life and a meaningful life, you have to be doing the right things. It's not just doing everything in life faster. It's not just efficiency practices. So this isn't just a time management efficiency seminar. It's about identifying what the right things are and put those things at the top. Focus on the right things. The third week, if you just look at all, all the seven weeks, you can just pull them all up here. The third week, we're going to look at what is the most important action you can take in your relationships, the single most important action you can take in all your relationships and improves just kind of the, the progress or the productivity in, in interpersonal relationships. That ties to God's will. Week four, we're going to look at how grace is connected to our productivity. The fifth week, we'll look at prayer and stress and how those things work together. The sixth week, we're going to talk about how it's not just about tweaking, again, time management practices and, and little tips and tools. You can you can improve you know, effectiveness, your effectiveness and efficiency, but if, if your character is low, then it all falls apart. So we're going to focus on how character is required to really have a productive life. And then the seventh thing is really try to identify the top priorities of God would say, and then those that sidetrack us from those. And so I just want to invite you to join us for, throughout this series. Our, our worship team is going to be coming back up onto the stage. And as I wrap up, I want to encourage you to look at that list of villains there in your listening guide and try to identify, maybe circle, what, which villain? Is it that I'm currently dealing with the most? Which one is threatening me the most? Which one threatens my productivity, my progress in life? This should help you if you'll identify this in the series. It'll help you to just know which villain and then figure out what's the best way to fight against that.
Because a villain in real life is not something you just notice and then do nothing about. If you had a real villain in your life, a villain is something, is someone that you need to overcome, fight against. And so our hope in this series is that you would do just that. So go ahead and look at those. Pull out this connection card on the back and notice the next steps really tied to that. The first one is attend the rest of this series. Also, begin to pray this week about identifying that villain and beginning to pray about God, could you help me through this? Could you help me turn to you in this? Not just think up my own plan here, but really respond to what you're wanting to do. We've left the final one blank for you. If God has something really, said something really specific, I encourage you to respond to him. In a moment, we're going to be receiving our offering, and you can drop those connection cards in that basket. But let's pray as we wrap up. Father, thank you for this time, and thank you for your word. Thank you for David's encouragement to his men and how that encourages us, Lord, to watch our, our words, Lord, to keep our lips from speaking lies and deceit, Lord, and then also just to turn away from evil and seek you, God, pursue you. And then Paul's words to us, Lord, to the same, to really look carefully at the way that we live our lives and making the most of, of our time and trying to avoid the evil that lies before us by cooperating with you and doing your will. Lord, help us, Lord, to uh, grow as we seek you this season. Bless the offering, Lord God, thank you. Thank you so much for the way you have uh, just continued to raise up generous people in our church, Lord. Thank you for the Christmas offering and how we go and pass that goal, Lord. We pray that you would allow those uh, offerings to just really be a blessing and advance your kingdom purposes, Lord, around the world, here in our state, Lord, here locally. Thank you for this brief, Lord. Thank you for just the work you're doing in all of our lives. Pray the blessing on each of those that are here and on the year ahead of them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.